Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Listening to MAF Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bibles director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Mav Sports Take, the first few episodes. We are back here, Ryan Roberts and David Turner back to talk to you all about everything football, sports, life in general, unmuzzled sports talk. If you missed last week's show, David and I had former NFL running back and Utah standout running back, now coach at Weber State, Mr. Quinton Ganther, and a longtime ex-NFL scout and current director of player personnel at the University of Illinois, James Kirkland, on to discuss the state of football and the impact of the extra year of eligibility granted to college seniors with the changing landscape of recruiting in constant flux. A uh, couple really nice perspectives there. We had a bit of a roundtable discussion. It was a great time. Uh, of course, like I said, Ryan Roberts here, Director of Scouting NFL Draft Bible. I have Mr. David Turner with me now. David, how are we doing tonight, my friend? Doing great. Can't wait to get into this conversation with Ian Williams and, you know, talk more NFL and college football and, you know, whatever else comes up tonight. Anybody in the chat wants to talk about a certain thing, we are live. Feel free to throw questions and comments in there, and we can talk about whatever you like. We always like that fan interaction here at Mav Sports Take. Absolutely. So as David said, anybody that's watching live, you want to throw in a question at any time. We'll be taking live questions throughout the night. We want to thank you all for joining along with us, taking a listen to this week's Mav Sports Take. It is episode eight, and we are just fired up here to talk football from this past weekend. We're going to talk about football, college, and NFL coming up this season, uh, this season, this weekend as well, uh, you know, really previewing some games. And of course, like David said, we're going to have a really special one for me. I got Mr. We got Mr. Ian Williams, former Notre Dame Fighting Irish defensive tackle, coming on with us. Uh, he was a really damn good player, you know, during the the latter stage of the Charlie Weiss years. Brian Kelly was his coach during his senior year. Now he is working in radio, doing some stuff um, out there in the Bay Area. So we're excited to have him out. But before we do, we want to do a quick recap of this past weekend's games. We're talking college football to start. If you listened to us last week, uh, 
Starting a little off course here, LSU and Mississippi State. I wanted to talk about this one first, David, because we both said there was going to be some offensive firepower from Mississippi State with Mike Leach in his first game, which there was. There was no uh, no absence of excitement in their 44-34 victory over LSU. Uh, I was very convinced, though, that in the end, LSU and those athletes – we're going to kind of, you know, take it down the stretch and maybe win by like 10 points or so. That obviously did not happen. We saw Miles Brennan, the quarterback from LSU, struggle a little bit. You know, it was his first career start. We're going to give him a little bit of slack on that one, right? He's fo- he's the guy that's following Joe Burrow if there is a uh, – there's not much harder things to do in sports than follow a Heisman Trophy winner first overall pick at the quarterback position. So very tough situation against Mike Leach, Mississippi State Bulldogs. And they were, you know, obviously very buoyed by their transfer quarterback, KJ Costello from Stanford, who, uh, you know, was it was accomplished quarterback at Stanford, dealt with some injuries in 2018, uh, 2019 after a nice 2018 season, and then burst onto the scene this game, 620 yards or so, give or take a couple yards there, four or five touchdowns, was absolutely dynamic. David, this did not go quite the way that we predicted it. What would just were quick some general thoughts of the LSU Mississippi State 44-34 Mississippi State victory? You know the the thing I noticed I think the most was how LSU's offensive line gave up pressure, you know, and their athletes didn't like respond to to giving up that pressure. It seemed like their backs and their uh their their line weren't in sync on how to pick things up and where to go with it. Also, the quarterback made a couple misreads and some misthrows. Um, Mississippi State's defense stood up, and, you know, yes, they gave up 34 points, but at the end of the day, they got a couple turnovers. I know one of the corners got a pick and stuff, so this is a a defense that made some plays when they needed to, helped put their their backup or their quarterback and their offensive position with some short fields to, you know, make some plays. And, and again, Mississippi State's new offense – Man, that was a heck of an outcome because, I mean, we were all talking about how with a shortened offseason, you got a you know, new coach, a transfer quarterback. You know, they might not be kicking or gelling right away, and all of a sudden, here they go. The air raid goes out and smacks the, the defending champions with 44 points. So, you know, kudos to Mike Leach. Kudos to Costello because I don't know if you saw the, the interview after the reporter was trying to interview him and all his teammates were there saying that they loved the guy. He was such a great guy. It almost brought him to tears. It looked like, you know, with their congratulations and what this game meant to Costello was great. And I really think that Mississippi State made a huge statement, obviously, there knocking off the number one team in the land. I think Ed Orgeron and his crew need to, you know, they need to get to work, like Ed said in his post game. You know, losing's on him, and he's got to figure it out. And, you know, they had guys opt out, then opt back in. Are we going to count on them, not count on them, some transfer kids? So they had a lot of moving parts going on through all this, in, you know, instability that we're seeing across the landscape. And it ultimately just affected them on the field. I mean, ultimately, I think, again, LSU will figure it out. They got all these athletes. They got great players. They got incredible NFL prospects there. So, you know, they'll figure it out. They'll bond. They'll get together. Orgeron will we'll get them all worked out over there. So I have, I have to ask, David, because obviously, you know, LSU, it was kind of the perfect storm for that upset. I feel like I should have had a little more foresight for that, right? They're replacing 20 of 22 starters, that is obviously a 
big thing to overcome that much turnover in one offseason, right? You know, coming off of the national championship, they did not have a lot of guys coming back. You mentioned the guys opting out. On top of Costello, that great storyline, right? The Mike Leach storyline. What is more true for you? Okay, I'm going to put an ultimatum up here. LSU is down, maybe go 6-6, and or Mississippi State is a true player in the SEC. What do you think is more likely? Ooh, I don't really like either of those. <laughs> I don't. You're, you're selling uh, both, then. You're selling both. Yeah, no, I think if I had to choose between the two of them, Mississippi State's more of a player than we gave him credit to. And, again, I don't think you could have seen the upset when you had a new coach, a new transfer quarterback, and those things. Like, if they were going up against, you know, even Florida – or, you know, somebody else that has a little bit of, you know, they had returning starters and everything, you might have been like, hey, you know, they're giving up 20, 20 starters against this team. But here's a whole new coaching staff coming in into the SEC with a whole new style of offense, you know, new defensive coordinator, everything. So it's hard to just go say, I should have seen this upset coming because, man, it, I don't think anybody in America really saw Mississippi State not only hanging in this game, but winning outright, and especially winning by 10 points. I don't think any better in America would have would have put a put ten points on uh, you know Mississippi State. Every book in America would have taken that one and said, "Okay, I'll bet you," you know, because that's a lot of points to win by. It was it was a shocker game. This is why we play, and this is why we love college football because the, the kids compete so hard, and the staffs get in their labs and they cook it up, and it's fun. So you know, it was a great game to watch. I watched it from beginning to end. I was super impressed with Costello. I was super impressed that the uh, Mississippi State defense made plays and, and turned it up. I mean, they were they were really giving the LSU offensive line some havoc. The the front seven was coming from different ways. And, and they got a long corner there at number one. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but I think he's a junior or sophomore. Man, that kid's long, and he's like a six-foot corner. It was kind of impressive to watch him do some things there. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, it was – so impressive because I, I I mean I'll be completely transparent and completely honest here. It was like a two score game, and it was probably nearing the end of the third quarter. My one of my buddies texted me and said like LSU's about to get run out of here. Like it's about to get bad. And I was like no no just wait on it. And then Costello proceeds to throw an interception. They turn the ball over. LSU goes down and score. I'm like all right. I think LSU's going to start getting on a roll. But like you said, man, the, the finishing power here for Mississippi State was really impressive. Kudos to those guys, right? Costello, you mentioned with the interview afterwards, a lot of raw emotion in his voice. Mike Leach showing that the air raid can win in the SEC, like big steps. I, I like how you had to throw in the, the Florida mention already in your answer there, David, because, man, if, if people see our group chat, David Turner's got to be a Florida Gators fan. And, you know, he was boasting about these dudes. 51-35 victory for the, for the Gators over the new-look Lane Kiffin Ole Miss football team, right? Um, really impressive, right? Because we, we talk about offensive firepower. Kyle Trask throws for 400 yards. Kyle Pitts has 170 yards to tight ends. I know you liked um, number one, the little slot receiver uh, gadget guy. Yeah, to- Kadarius Tony, who is a really nice athlete as well. Uh, Florida's defense didn't show up too much, but hey, I was really impressed by uh, Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss, who I felt like he had some really nice flashes during that game. O- Ole Miss has a wide receiver named Elijah Moore, so we definitely got the- that offensive firepower. Uh, general thoughts from you, David. I want to hear why you think, and it sounds like from all accounts, you think Florida might be a real player this year. 
You know, I really do. I think what they have on um, offense and defense is really interesting to me. And when I look at, you know, when I watch, again, Trask is the real deal. Like, the way he throws the ball, the way he whips it around. I mean, the guy was delivering really nice receiver-friendly balls all the way through the game. I mean, they were just dimes. He was throwing uh, through coverage, into coverage. He was making great reads, setting his feet in the pocket. And what he did really well was climb up in the pocket. So, you know, he wasn't staying back where the pressure was coming. He was able to hitch up, climb up in the pocket, shorten the distance on throws, and get the ball out in a, in a very timely fashion. He wasn't holding it very long. He was under five seconds getting the ball out. I know four is, you know, where you really want three and a half, four. But, you know, his, he let his guys work to get open. And the offensive line gave him a bunch of time. I mean, their center, Brett Hagee. Oh, now, come on now. That guy, whoo. He's going to be a baller at the next you level. You like him, huh? You like him. Dude, he all day didn't give up one pressure. He made all the calls. He was strong in the middle. A guy ran it. Guys were trying to bull him. They couldn't push him back. I mean, he was he's what you're looking for in, a, in an NFL center. I think he's 6'3 and like 3'10, 3'12 right now with enough room to grow into a, a nice 320 body. Um, his arms appeared to be at least 32s, maybe 31 and a halfs. So it's right where you want all the NFL measurables when you're watching the film on a guy like that. And here I'm talking about the center. I haven't even gotten to Tony or the or Pitts or or any of the other playmakers. I was just up front talking about the hog maulers, giving them their due because, you know, I mean, they all did a really good job up there. The the tackles did well, but I was just really impressed with Hagee up front. But, uh, you know, Trask, I mean, I think he had, what, five or six touchdowns. Pitts had four of them. Um, Tony, yeah, he's a great gadget slot receiver return guy. I could, I mean, his, his stop and start motion was so fluid and easy for him. His, uh, change of direction and his, and he's stronger than what you would think. He had one reverse where he came around the corner and some guy met him head on and he just went right through him. He bowled him over. For he's a, got a little, like, he's got a little Percy Harvin to him. You know, he's, he's kind of yeah, like in that mold. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great call. Great comparison right there. Pulling the Percy train out of there. But he definitely did. I mean, he was good. And Jacob Copeland, uh, there's a sophomore receiver. Grimes. I mean, come on. Grimes made some great plays. So they're they're stacked on offense all the way through. I like the running backs a lot, too. Davis and Pierce. I mean, Pierce ran hard downhill. Oh, and Davis took somebody's ankles one time in the open field too. Yeah, and Davis, yeah, he can make he he can make the the hard cuts. Like it was just he just gave a dead leg on somebody and they went missing for a while. It was like he he screwed them up. But you know, if you look on the defensive side, you say you know, I mean the the Brenton Cox Jr. I mean this guy was in the backfield all day as a sophomore coming off the edge. He was back there causing trouble and havoc all day. Vontrell Miller, the short little linebacker, kind of love him. Sam love Mil- him. That little dude Sam is Mills lookalike, little 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 Sam Mills lookalike inside guy. Okay, Panthers, hear what I'm saying? A little Sam Mills lookalike inside there. All right, you got that inside tip. You listening, Panthers? I got gotcha. you. So just saying, like he's a little guy that was all over the field, explosive, launching into players, making tackles sideline to sideline. Even late in the game, you could tell he was tired, but he was still exploding through tackles. So, I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch this game. And I think that I really think that they have enough on defense to uh, to really give the SEC some fits. And that offense, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause matchups. Again, they can run the ball downhill with a physical line like this. They give Trask – 
time to throw the ball to, you know, Pitts, Tony, Copeland, Grimes. It's going to cause them fits. So, you know, a lot of weapons here to be, uh, to be paying attention to for the, for the Gators. Yeah, and, you know, I was joking about that defense because there was so much turnover again. You know, we talked about Jabari Zuniga getting drafted, Jonathan Greener. The, the defensive end position was a little bare coming into the season. Brenton Cox, like you said, the transfer from Georgia, really had some nice play. I mean, he had that, he had that back-to-back play where, he, you know, he bat the ball down. He got the TFL kind of uh, cutting inside on, on the inside move. Really impressive for his first time in a Florida Gators uniform. I love that Ventro Miller dude, man. I really did. I, I I was talking a little bit about him in the summer because he is just a such a physical, physical run defender, you know. And he's not a big guy, but the explosiveness that he's able to create in such short spaces is absolutely absurd. I want to ask you, David, because you know I love Kyle Pitts. I think he's a top twenty potential player at the tight end position. You know, we're talking about six six, two forty, athlete can get up. You know, he does. A little bit of everything as a receiving threat. I like Tony as well. We gave him a little Percy Harvin comp. He's in that that similar body type. One guy now, Kyle Trask. I have a comp for you, and I need your instant reaction. I'm putting you on the spot tonight, David Turner. Kyle Trask. I I called him I called him bargain bin Carson Wentz as a joke because of the look. Right, he's got the arm sleeve, but here's the actual comparison. Nick Foles. That that's it. That's my that's my one right there. That's it. Touch, accuracy down the field. Not an incredible athlete, but he's maneuvers well in the pocket. I don't think he has a cannon for an arm as far as short to intermediate velocity, but I think that it's adequate enough and his timing is good enough inside the pocket. Yeah, I don't know if he's I don't I I I'm not a big Foles guy. So, maybe that's oh. what's sour in my mouth. I'm not a guy Philly Philly? No, Philly Philly? No, I'm not a big Foles guy. Like, I have other friends that are really big Foles guys, and they like them a lot. I'm not a Foles guy. You know, when I was watching Trask throw the ball and manage the manage the field and do everything he was doing, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's got a huge arm. So, for me, I was looking at the motion and everything more like a Ryan Fitzpatrick or or even, a, you know, like an old-school Trent Dilfer, you know, because that's kind of like the body style and type I saw when I was looking at him. You know, I saw those kind of those kind of motions and throws with his with his read and his be able to read and move up in the pocket. Like that was one thing that Dilfer and and um, and and those guys did really well is they they didn't have great mobility, so they they move side to side and up in the pocket to get away from the rush, but never looking to run and escape. So for me, you know, those that those comparisons to me hit me a little bit more than uh, than. Uh, Wentz, because I think this kid might have a better feel for the passing game than Wentz does. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, you just gave me a flashback again. I talk about this every time we're on, but now I'm thinking Brad Johnson. I'm, I'm thinking right. some early 2000 quarterbacks now. Gannon. Chris, well, Gannon Chris was Chandler popped into my head for some reason. Chris Chandler, the former Falcons quarterback, who I really liked a little bit. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, you can even compare this guy to the Giants guy a little bit, you know, who they got up there. Yeah. No, no, I, I hear you. And obviously, he took a really nice step forward with the game that he had. You know, to, I don't know if you've heard the backstory on him, David, but he actually, so he backed up the Eric King when he was in high school, the quarterback down in Miami now. And so he hadn't started until last year. He had not started a football game until he was, since he was a freshman in high school, if you can believe that. So it had been 
four years plus three, seven years, six or seven years since he'd started a football game. And now, hey, he's on the verge, right? Maybe he's that big, big riser in the senior class. Looks like it might possibly be. Uh, before we get Ian Williams on here, we want to transition. Uh, we're a couple minutes late on the, on getting him in here, but we want to transition to some college football for this weekend before we get Ian on. So, a uh, couple upsets this past week. We didn't even talk about that, right? Oklahoma going down to Kansas State. What an exciting football game that was. Their young gun, their young gun uh, Spencer Rattler threw three interceptions for Oklahoma. Really struggled down the stretch. Kansas State advantageous, right? Chris Kleiman, former North Dakota State uh, head coach, is now there at Kansas State doing a great job. Texas Tech. That's the second next time he beat him. That's the second time he beat him. Second year in a row, right? In two, in two in a row. He's beat him yeah. twice in a row, two in a year. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that game obviously coming off a huge upset after Kansas State lost to Arkansas State in the opener. So, you know, obviously a huge turnaround there. And now we have then facing off against Texas Tech, who, you know, had a really competitive football game against Texas this past weekend as well. You know, it was a shootout. Uh, their quarterback, Alan Bowman, did some really nice stuff, even though they lost the game. Now, two-and-a-half-point favor for Kansas State. We have the over-under at 63-and-a-half. So, David, before we get Ian in here, just general thoughts. Are Kansas State, you, you buying them as the favorite? You think Texas Tech has enough firepower to maybe get the perceived upset? What's, what's kind of your thoughts on this game? Oh, man, that Texas Tech game went back and forth. I mean, neither Texas or them showed any kind of defense, to be honest with you. And and I really thought Texas Tech was going to run away with it. I think they had the lead, what, 15 points in the last three or four minutes there. So I thought they had it. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes did, too, because he was tweeting out like crazy, thinking they were going to beat Texas. Uh, he was really excited to see that come down the pipe. But, uh, you know, he was disappointed in the end. Texas squeezed it out. I think Texas Tech has a lot of firepower, and I don't know if Texas – or Kansas State, I should say. Sorry about that. Uh, if Kansas State should does have the stop power to take on a Texas Tech. And I believe they're down in Texas. It's going to be humid. It's going to be hot. So, you know, I think Texas Tech winds up taking this game, and I, I just don't see them having the firepower or the stopping power to, to what I saw out of Texas Tech last week. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I would take Texas Tech. It, it's a Big 12 game, so even if I don't 100% believe it, I'm going to take the over just for the nature of the conference with how bad defensively they play. So give me Alan Bowman and Texas Tech, and I would take the over there. Uh, Texas Tech wins outright in this game. I think Kansas State's just that sneaky team. They usually play pretty solid defense you know, in, in terms of Big 12 football. But give me Texas Tech this week. And yeah, I like that yeah, big old yeah. receiver so they got there at Texas Tech. What is his name? Vasher? Vasher. He's um he's Nathan Vasher's nephew, apparently, the, the former Chicago Bear corner. So Yeah, just, I mean this kid's like six nine, it looks like. He's probably six six, but he looks like he's six nine. He makes great plays and adjustment to the ball. I mean, they got they got a decent offensive line. It wasn't getting com- completely dis- dismem- dismembered, but I mean their defense had no stop power. None. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, they got they got nothing on the defensive side of the ball. They do have Jack Anderson, who's a pretty solid right guard playing on that offensive line. You mentioned TJ Vasher. That dude's 6'6. I think he's only listed at like 190 or 200 pounds, though. So that 6'6 looks a lot longer on that thin of a frame, which is uh, pretty funny to watch. But yeah, he's Nathan Vasher's nephew. So there should be no surprise that he's athletic. He has those athletic genes. Uh, we're going to get to some more pickums in a minute. 
But of course, we want to bring on our special guest here. A really fun one for me personally as a Notre Dame fan, Notre Dame supporter my entire life. Uh, we have Mr. Ian Williams, who is getting connected right now, who is former Notre Dame Fighting Irish defensive tackle from 2007 to 2010. So he played under head coach Charlie Weiss for a few years and then Brian Kelly for his final season. After he finished up, was a very good player for the Irish. He spent five seasons in the Bay Area with the San Francisco 49ers. Best year came, of course, in 2015, where he led all defensive linemen that year on the team with 65 total tackles. Ian's now a sports analyst for NBC Sports Bay, uh, Bay Area. Uh, sorry. For NBC Sports Bay Area and 95-7 the game as Ian is getting connected here. Uh, David, I know you're really excited to get Ian on here. I'm excited for him being a former Irish. Um, what can we expect here from Mr. Williams once we get him connected finally? Well, you know, for me, I'm a huge Irish guy too. You forget, I go back in the day, you know, watching the Irish when I was a young lad out there in the Bay Area. And, I, you know, guys like Aaron Taylor came out of De La Salle High School and played at the you know, played over there. So I got to watch Aaron play at the Irish and other players that I really just loved and admire being there. So the program was, I got to meet Lou Holtz one time. I mean, it was just, it was just infectious as a, as a young guy, I was a huge Irish guy. So, uh, I was, I still like when my son was born, I, all I bought him was Notre Dame gear. He was in New York wearing Notre Dame gear rare everywhere. So, um, this is really exciting for me to meet Ian and talk to him tonight and, uh, be here on this platform. I'm very thankful that he's took it, taken us up on the opportunity to be here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So we're welcoming Mr. Ian Williams in right now. If I wasn't wearing this, this dope Mav sports gear, I would be wearing an Irish shirt right now. Ian, appreciate you coming on, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Absolutely. Oh, it's going to be great. Hope you're, I hope you're strapped up and unmuzzled and ready to get after it. Yeah, man. You know, that's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Ian, I, like I said, man, I got, I got Irish tattoos up and down my arm, man, fighting Irish tattoos. It's uh, something that's been with me and my dad for a long time here. So I'm really excited to have a former Irish on here with us. And I think that the best place maybe to start with, man, is just kind of reliving your years. Because I said, you know, you were with Charlie Weiss for the majority of your uh, Notre Dame career. And with Brian Kelly, obviously Brian Kelly has continued his tenure until now and has been very successful over the last couple of years, you know, with getting, the, getting him back to 10 plus wins. Uh, relive for me just some of your favorite moments as an Irish and just kind of what you take away from your time to up there in South Bend. I could tell you uh, when I first went up there, I didn't expect you know, for it to be as special uh, as, as it meant for me. But, you know, growing up in Florida, I didn't really pay attention to Notre Dame or anything, you know, South Bend related it because I was down in Florida. I had three other schools around me. I had Florida State, Florida, and Miami around me. So, you know, when I actually finally got on campus for my first official visit, that's when everything hit me. It was like, all right, like, this is, this is really special up here. And I see what people are talking about. I see, you know, why it's such a national brand or such a worldwide brand. And then I got to be on the field for the first game we played at Georgia Tech. Um, even though though um, that first year we struggled a little bit, it was still just fun just being out there, just wearing that helmet. And no matter what, you know, we were going to be on NBC, you know, uh, uh, prime time. You know, we could be two and whatever. You know what I'm saying? We will still be on, on prime time. Like, nobody wants to watch us, but we out there. Um, but you know, once Brian Kelly got there, my senior year, uh, I could definitely feel a change in, um, uh, the mentality of the team, especially on offense and defense. 
And I feel like this, that, that first year ended up pro- propelling them uh, a few years later that got them to the national championship. And then, you know, what he's been doing now, you know, getting the team, you know, to the college football playoff and, you know, competing every year, you know, top 10 finishes and stuff like that. So, you know, the team's, uh, you know, a, a player or two away or, you know, um, a couple games away from, you know, getting back to that that overall national championship stage and national championship level. So uh, it's been fun to watch the guys this season uh, so far. And uh, Ian Book and the defense is looking really good out there. So uh, it's been fun to watch them. Absolutely. And I need to ask you, Ian, because you being a Florida guy, do you ever get used to that Indiana weather? That's what I need to know. I really didn't. You know, when, once you get up there and, it, and it's you feel that cold weather, uh, when you start to hit like October, November, and, you know, I grew up in Florida my whole life, and I, it was my first time actually being up north. So that first time, that first winter, my freshman year, uh, it was truly something, i tell you that. And uh, um, it, it made me uh, appreciate, you know, the warm weather in, in Florida and uh, the springtime and the summer because it, it makes you appreciate the, the changing of the seasons. He's like, man, it's been – snowing it's been cold for about four months now i'm ready for spring and then man it's been you know kind of sloshy out it's been just raining you know a little bit i'm ready for summer you know man you know it's been too hot out here i'm ready for fall and the next thing you know you know it starts to cool down a little bit so it makes you appreciate your seasons absolutely and now doing what you're uh, you're obviously well versed in the san francisco niner world you're there you're in the bay and you're doing um doing the games and everything for them how and I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I grew up knowing like the Bay Area is where I'm from. Went to Del Sal High School, graduated from San Francisco State, grew up a Niner fan. I worked for the Raiders. But how did the Niners beat the Giants as bad as they beat them with all the backups and like that? Are the Giants that bad or were we just sleeping on how good the Niners are? Well, you have to go into why the Giants got got their butts beat like that. Well, they're they're a very bad football team. Uh, they have no identity. They don't have Saquon Barkley. They don't have Sterling Shepard. They don't have a lot of players on defense that have played a lot of football. They have a pretty good defensive line. Uh, but besides that, you know, they, they're pretty much void, you know, and they have Evan Ever and they got a couple guys, but they're not the same team of what we used to see with, you know, Justin Tuck and um, – uh, Eli Manning and, and those guys. And, you know, you have to give the 49ers credit. You know, you, you play, you know, who's on the schedule at the time and and, and, uh, and during that time that the league uh, assigns it. So, you know, if they're struggling, if they have injuries, you know, it is what it is. You know, the Niners have a lot of injuries too, from quarterback to receiver to tight end to defensive end to linebacker to cornerback. So, you know, they're banged up all over the place, too. So they didn't make excuses out there, even with all the injuries and playing on the same field as uh, Bosa and uh, Solomon Thomas getting hurt. So uh, I feel like definitely this was, this was a, a game to win. And these next couple of games for them, they have the Philly uh, Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday night on, on, on football, uh, Sunday night football. And then the week after, they play the Miami Dolphins. And then after that, they really start to hit their schedule where they play Seattle and the Patriots and Green Bay and pretty much every team from after the Dolphins is a, a playoff caliber team. So uh, I know they're going to be excited to get a lot of those guys back, especially Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, Debo Samuel supposed to be practicing again tomorrow. So um, I know 49 fans are definitely excited to have those guys back out there in uniform. Yeah. I was just like, I knew the Giants weren't loaded, but when I saw 36 to nine, 
I mean, I was like, well, because like you said, them they've lost. I mean, the, the Niners have, I want to say, seven or eight guys, and six of them are starters that are on IR for right now, and they didn't play in the game. And then they lost the other tight end during the game that uh, coach said he's going to be out, I think, four to six weeks. So, you know, they're just really banged up. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know. I, I mean, the Giants, to me, they were in the first two games up to the last throw in both those games. So I thought there was going to be a really competitive team coming out, but – man, they didn't have any fight in them. Like you said, I was really disappointed to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the Giants are, you know, Jason Garrett, and he's just trying to figure out, you know, who's his weapons. You know, he has Golden Tate up there. You know, I, I, it's, uh, I posted on his Instagram the other day, like, hey, G. Tate, take it easy on my boys uh, this weekend. Um, but, you know, he couldn't really do much with uh, that defense that they had against Daniel Jones and, um, Devontae Freeman, they couldn't really do much on offense. So, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure out, you know, uh, who they are because they lost Saquon Barkley, and they're going to have a tough tough rest of the season. They're probably going to have a top three, top five pick. It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear for me. It's hard to hear. I worked there, so it was like, you know, I'm always rooting for my friends and my boys, but that one's hard for me to hear. They're going to be struggling that much. So is it? here's another question for you. Seattle Seahawks beat Dallas 38 to 31 the week before they beat New England. Are they real? Are they for real? The Cowboys? No, the Seahawks. The Seahawks? No, 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 they're for, they're for real. Russell Wilson, uh I could tell you this, you know, it, it was hell playing against them um back when I played and you know just trying to scheme against them because if you get them outside of the pocket, which is normally what you want to do with a quarterback, either you get them outside of the pocket, they can't throw in a run. You know, he can do that very well, and he can throw the deep ball very well. And they drafted some really good receivers to fit that style of offense with D.K. Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett, a draft pick a couple years ago. And those two guys have just been, um, you know, beast in that system that they try to do, you know, spread spread you out, you know, be able to run the football with Marshawn Lynch back in the day. Now they use Chris Carson, and then they throw the ball deep when you try to bring that extra safety down into the box to stop the run. So they have that, and then last season they had Jadavion Clowney. They got Bobby Wagner. They got a defense over there. Even though they may not have Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas anymore, they still have, uh, you know, that feel. They still have that that atmosphere there, even without the fans. Um, and they still have, uh, uh, you know, Ken Norton. He's a defense coordinator now. So they still have that that Seattle Seahawks, you know, mentality that they had when all the guys were there earlier in the decade, in the middle part of the de- decade when they went to the Super Bowl. So I would definitely say. You know, they're definitely a top five, top six team in, in the NFL because, you know, Russell Wilson and then what they can do on any given Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I got Russell as the MVP this year. I mean, he's poised to come in to me and be the MVP. If he doesn't, I don't I mean, there's only a few players that are out there, maybe like an Aaron Rodgers or, you know, if the Bills guy winds up, you know, keeping his pace up all year. But what Russell's been doing the first couple of weeks is just like, woo, like he's really, you know, cooking as they say up there. So, you know, I just think the one thing that Seahawks miss is a pass rush. If, if, if Schneider can get on the trade market and find, find a, a, a taker to get some pass rush in there to help them restock that pass rush for them, I think that would really be the key to, to success for them there. Yeah, if they would have had, you know, Jadavion Clowney back for another season, I understand he wanted a lot of money. I think he wanted like 20-something million. But he just wasn't going to – nobody was going to give him that because of his injury history and his production history. So, you know, I thought, you know, Seattle at the end of the day would eventually get him back because, they, just like you said, you need some kind of pass rushing. 
at the moment, you know, they had Bruce Irvin. They thought they could bring him back. You know, he had his injury. So, uh, you know, they're kind of they're, – they're trying to figure out what they can do, you know, on that defensive line to be able to generate some kind of pressure on the quarterback. So, uh, I definitely look for them to, you know, bring some more pressures and bring some more blitzes throughout the season. And, you know, when they do that, they're going to leave Shaquille – Griffin in the other corner, Trey Flowers on the island at, at times. And those guys are, are big and they're they're fast and they're rangy, so they can do it. So uh, it's kind of pick your poison. You know, do you do you want to uh, play to their strengths or you want to play to your strengths? So uh, I know offenses are definitely going to, uh, you know, have a field day or not a field day, but a, um, a tough day trying to, you know, scheme against that offense and defense that they have in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And Ian, we, we saw another division rival for the 49ers. The LA Rams are getting off to a pretty solid start, you know, two and one. They had an almost miraculous 20, you know, they were down 28 to three, that infamous, you know, score and almost came back and beat the Buffalo Bills this week, eventually falling 35 32 with a little controversy at the end. I, I have a two part question for you. One, do you think that the Rams are a legitimate contender in this division this year after their pretty solid start here? And are you buying for the first time in I don't know how many years that the Buffalo Bills can take the division over the New England Patriots for what it has felt like forever now? I definitely think the Rams are better than they were last year. Um, I don't know if they're better than they were when they went to the Super Bowl. Obviously, they would have needed Todd Gurley to be more healthy in that game, and they probably would have played a little bit more differently. Uh, But as of right now, you know, they have – you know, speed and they have weapons at receiver. Jared Goff's playing very well and, and Sean McVay. I feel like that that year that they struggled last year, I felt it helped them, you know, uh, know what adversity is coming off of a Super Bowl and have to deal with it. And also they were, you know, they were old at the offensive line and at certain positions and they had to make some changes schematically, you know, on their depth charts. And I feel like they've done that. And then they have two uh, great players on defense and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So, you know, once you can shut off one side of the field with Jalen Ramsey and then you have a defensive presence in Aaron Donald up, up front, you know, you're, you're pretty loaded on defense. You just got to have some guys around them that can do their jobs. And those two guys will make the whole defense work. And then on offense, you know, Jared Goff is – I feel like he's starting to settle in. And I think last year, you know, he went through his struggles. And um, I feel like they looked at a, a lot of film and a lot of tape this year. You know, you didn't have to – uh, be in training camp or OTAs for uh, hours of the day. So I know guys were at home, you know, especially on their iPads, studying a lot of film. And I know Jared Goff was. And you, you can you can definitely tell he looks a lot better. He looks more comfortable in that offense. And they're running the ball a little bit better. You know, they made a draft pick with Cam, uh, Cam Akers out of Florida State uh, this past draft. And uh, I think he got injured, unfortunately. But Malcolm Brown, their backup running back, who's actually kind of a starter, he's playing actually very well for them. And uh, fitting that scheme that they like to run over there. So uh, they definitely have uh, what it takes to com- compete and definitely get into, back into the playoffs. And then Buffalo, um, they've been building up there for a few years. You know, they finally got Josh Allen. They finally got a quarterback that they can do multiple things with and not just throw the football out there because it's Buffalo. You're, you're not in Florida. You're not in a dome where, you know, you're going to have all times of the uh, of the football season to be able to throw the football or uh, do what you want through the air. You know, it's going to get cold up there. You're going to need to build a certain offensive line and build a certain team that can run the football when it gets cold because you're not going to be able to throw the ball 40 yards down the field when it's snowing and it's freezing up there. You just can't put that on guys. You don't want to put that on yourself. And, you know, they've, they've drafted Josh Allen. They've drafted great guys on defense, Ed Oliver, some young guys, Terrell Edmonds. 
Um, they got uh, the corner out there. I'm tripping over his name right now. To, uh, to Davis uh, White from LSU. Uh, so they got some guys on defense and they got some guys on offense. And uh, I think the best thing that they did this past season, uh, this past offseason, was trade for Stephon Diggs and uh, add just another element to that passing game because, you know, Josh Allen is definitely a dual threat quarterback and you wouldn't expect it. Uh, because of how well his, uh, how well he throws the football, but um, he's definitely making some things happen with his legs. And when defense just try to, you know, hone in on him and try to bring an extra guy up, and you got Stephon Diggs, you got a bona fide star out there on the on the outside that you have to respect. So uh, they got some flavor out there in Buffalo, I can tell you that. And uh, uh, I know they're gonna definitely try to get on New England's head, you know, and finally take back that division. And um, I know Buffalo fans, and I feel like Buffalo up there needs. It. I remember watching the um, the uh, the 30 for 30 of the, the, the four times they went up to the Super Bowl and lost. I can only imagine going four times and losing every single time. I can only imagine. The best part of that, Ian, the best part of that whole story right there is something you don't know, but you should. <laughs> my cousin, my direct cousin, one of my best friends, Mark Spinelli, who was supposed to be on the show last week, was a Bills fan and still is a Bills fan, and he's been a Bills fan since those days. So all four of those Super Bowls, I got to go to Super Bowl parties with him and watch him think they were going to win <laughs> and talk trash going into it. And those were all those years I was in high school, and it was just like then I would watch his whole world come crashing down at the end. He wore 56. Everybody thought it was for Lawrence Taylor. No, it was for it was for Tally. He loved Bruce Smith. He loved the, the K-Gun offense. Like he right now, I hope you're listening, Nelly, because I know you're going to you're going to want to call in and talk to me. But he 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 fumbled all those those Super Bowls and he's he still laments on it. Oh yeah. I mean, the, lose losing those right there, I'm sure like just it just pains you. Just you just don't lose a feeling like that. That stays with you. He closes his eyes and sees Scott Norwood. What was it? Wide right, wide left. Scott Norwood, David. Yeah, he sees right. It in left. his dreams. Oh man. Uh, I, I mean, I have a, I have a similar one. You know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I, I live out right outside of Philadelphia, and I'm surrounded by Eagles fans. And they had that three year stretch with McNabb where they went to the NFC Championship game and they lost. They went back again. They lost again. They went a third time. They lost again. Finally, the next year, they made it to the NFC Championship game. They went to the Super Bowl. They lost that. But, you know, that's for another story. Complete different one there. And we talked a little bit about the Bills potentially unseating New England this year. New England had a 36-20 victory over the Raiders. Are you buying into the Cam Newton resurgence? I know he's been obviously fighting injuries over the last couple years. Is Cam Newton officially back? Are you buying into him potentially taking this team to another division championship? I mean, I wouldn't even say that, you know, he's back. I mean, uh, he, I don't even think he ever actually, that talent, talent actually never left him. You know, he just needed the opportunity to get healthy, and he finally got that this offseason. He didn't have to, you know, throw the football as much as he normally would, so he got to, you know, his shoulder got to heal up a little bit more. And then he went to a team that, you know, they have the offensive weapons around him. They have a great coach. You know, you're going to have a great defense year in and year out every year with the New England Patriots. You just need a quarterback to go in and manage the offense and be able to put up some points and then also be able to do some things with his legs, which Bill Belichick couldn't do with Tom Brady for almost 20 years. You know, he had to change up his offense. He could only call certain things. And over time, you know, defenses catch on to that, and it gets harder and harder to move the ball down the field. But once you add an element with the legs that Cam, Cam, Newton's ha- Cam Newton has, 
Same thing with uh, Josh Allen. It just it's an added element to the offense that people haven't seen when they normally go up against uh, New England led offense. And you know now you have to worry about Rex Burkhead and you know guys like James White and and you know Sony Michelle back there and um, Julian Edelman. So there's there's so many weapons that they have up there that you know we've seen for you know the past decade. You know just uh, making plays up there, but now they have a different guy in a different you know style that's still going to be able to make plays up there. And now we're transitioning to week four here, and we have the, of course, the San Francisco 49ers are now taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, like you mentioned a little bit earlier. Eagles are a little riddled with injuries like the 49ers are right now, coming off of a tie, which was the most anticlimactic finish I've probably ever seen in a game (laughs) in my life. I can't think of another one. Uh, Ian, what is your they general thought? They punted with 13 seconds to go. David, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even watch. I couldn't even watch. <laughs> did, you hear, did you hear Doug Peterson's explanation after the game, too? It hurt my heart. It hurt my head. It hurt my heart. I just don't understand. If you're a competitor, and to be in this business, you got to be a competitive individual. You have 13 seconds to go in the game. How do you not? It's, oh, it's fourth and 12. Make, like, make a play. Like give you or, or, the ball to make I mean, a play. Well, it was also well, like a, if it's if it's fourth and twelve, and what what where where were they on the field when it happened? It would have been a sixty-four yarder. So yeah, so, so think about it. it. All right, so you got roughly thirteen seconds left. So you kick that field goal from your fifty-yard line. All right, so roughly there should be six to seven seconds left on that clock. About time it, the ball hits the ground. So an uh, offense would have five seconds to run a play and get roughly 10 yards, call a timeout, and now you're on the 40-yard line, and now you can kick a field goal and lose that game. So instead of trying to win the game and try to go for it on 4th and 12, it's smarter to punt it and at least take your L and know that you're going to tie instead of taking a loss if you mess around and a bad play happens and they get a chance to kick a field goal. Ian, I, I got you real quick, though. Taking a field goal. I was talking about them taking a shot to get the first down and then call their timeout to get their, their field goal kicker some extra yards to make a make it, like you said, a two-second field goal when they're in better position sure. to kick the field goal and put it in the quarterback's hand to be like, hey, you got a fourth and 12 here, son. You got to go. You got to nut up. You got to make the play and dial up something that's going to that, – that's the best play in the playbook for a fourth and 10 type style and give them a shot because even if you gain 10 yards there – and you run off those five or six seconds, and they they stop you. You've put ten more yards on what they would have to gain to, to yeah. kick a field goal. So now now it's like almost it's almost as good as a punt because you're only leaving them with five seconds, and they got to move the ball, you know, thirty yards before their guy can kick it. Mm-hmm. How many how many how many picks has Carson Wentz thrown these past few games? Oh, don't talk about that. That's the negative. Let's talk about hey, the hey, but I, I'm not going to call a play on 4th and 12 if I think my quarterback ain't up to the game. You know what I'm saying? If I think he's going you know, to uh, not, not do the right call and throw a pick, I'm just going to call it safe. And, and- but that's the trust in the quarterback. That's why you got to, again, if you don't trust your quarterback, you punt. And that's, that's a hard thing to tell a young quarterback week three of the season is I don't trust you, and now the rest of the week, the time we're going for it. And you see teams like the Bengals and different other teams that have, uh, you know, rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks going for it in those situations where their coaches, at least if they screw it up, the coaches showed confidence in them that they're going to do it, you know. When you reach and you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round <laughs> and you just paid your quarterback buku amounts of money, 
that should show you what you need to know all right there where the trust is. Right. I mean, they didn't trade up to get him more weapons and a receiver. They could have done it, but they, they go and take a quarterback in the second round. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we, we are we are all three different sides on this one because I would have kicked a field goal because I would like to say, Ian, the Cincinnati Bengals did not have a timeout left after that either. They were out of timeouts. So I'm working. You had to get 20 yards. And what did David say? Seven, five seconds and try to clock the ball? That's impossible, my friend. That is not going to work. Um, yeah, so the Eagles are a mess, though. I, real quick to add to that, Jalen Hurts. Right now, they have Avante Maddox starting at corner opposite Darius Slay. They have no safeties right now. Rodney McLeod is hurt every other day. Jalen Mills is playing safety for the first time in his career. They could they could have had Jeremy Chin. They could have had Christian Fulton. A uh, whole lot of mess right now in Philadelphia, to say the least, heading into their matchup with San Francisco. Uh, and I want to ask this, Ian, because it's obviously been a crazy offseason, you know, with everything going on, the pandemic and – We've seen, you know, numbers in better, better areas than others. I um, want to ask about just your general thoughts of the climate of America right now and, um, you know, just the state of flux and uncertainty that we're trying to get through right now. Uh, I'm just glad, you know, things are starting to get better. Things are starting to look, um, uh, you can see that the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Now you know with you know everything starting to open back up, Florida open, oh, Florida's opening back up. Um, out here in California, you know things are opening back up. My gym and you know restaurants are opening back up. So you know people are going back to work, and um, the economy is getting a little bit better. And um, you know there are a lot of uh, uh, bio, bio uh, pharma- pharmaceutical companies are you know close to you know either you know in their second stage or third stage of trials and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, everything's looking up right now, but, you know, there's a lot that, that has gone on, you know, this whole off season for, for sports and um, for the world in, in, in general. So, you know, from the pandemic to the, the protests to, um, you know, just pretty much anything that you can think of that has happened in 2020, you know, um, it's been a wild off season. It's been a wild year so far, and we still have a few months to go. But uh, you know, for the most part, I'm just glad you know things are actually looking looking a little bit more better. With your career, I mean, you were a dominant player, right? You were just like some. You're a dominant NFL player. I think our listeners should hear a little bit about your career, and then again, how it ended, and and then and all that, because it's a great message for for people or a story for people to to know if they don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so my best year was 2015. So I first got to San Francisco 2011. I was undrafted. I uh, had suffered a knee injury in my senior year in college. So, uh, you know, that kind of dinged me a little bit. And then my size also dinged me a little bit, too. So um, when I drafted, but it was probably the best thing that, that happened to me. I came into a good situation in San Francisco where you know, we had that dominant defense under, under Harbaugh early part of last decade. And um, I was able to sit and, and learn, you know, from a lot of good players, a lot of great players that we had on offense and defense. Um, and I just took the opportunity to soak up, you know, everything that was happening. I was on the sidelines for every play. Um, I practiced against these guys. I was in the meeting rooms with these guys. So I got better uh, every year. And then uh, 2015 was my best year. And then as I was about to uh, finally sign a, a long-term extension with uh, the Niners or, uh, another team at the time, you know, I was in, I was in free agency. So I was going to 
um, take my visits and, you know, see which team, you know, really uh, uh, was going to be the best fit for me. And I had eventually uh, my ankle, um, you know, started bothering me. I had broke my ankle a couple of years before against uh, Seattle. It was my first start. Uh, guy dove up my ankle, broke my ankle, and I had to have a whole replacement done. And um, um, the pins and uh, a plate put in my ankle and eventually got that taken out. But I, had, I got an infection in my ankle, uh, a staph MRSA infection in my ankle. Um, and it got worse over time. And then eventually in 2016, um, that's where it, it like really um, spiraled out, out of control. And um, a few months after the season, I ended up having uh, surgery and um, had an external fixator put on it. And um, it was a long rehab back. It was a long 2016 and 17. And uh, I was going to try to rehab to be able to come back once I got the uh, fixator off. And um, once I actually started, you know, moving around or trying to move around or what I assumed I was moving around, um, it just, you know, it, it wasn't what it, it, it needed to be to go out there and hold a double team or be able to do what I needed to do on the defensive line or, or, or feel safe out there, um, you know, playing out there with, you know, full pads and, and, and live, live speed. So um, eventually called it a career and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a rough transition just, you know, dealing with everything that happened because I was at the height of my career. Um, the, the game was finally starting to slow down for me, and I was actually starting to play very, very well. Um, and I was going to be a uh, cornerstone for the defense going into the next uh, – I'd still be playing right now. I'd be, I would have been in between DeForest and, and Eric Armstead. So um, and it would have been fun to still be out here and, you know, um, Last year, you know, go to the Super Bowl and be on that team and have a chance to win it and actually be a starter and be a contributor to a, a, a Super Bowl contending team. You know, it would have been fun. But uh, it's, it's been a blessing, you know, to be able to uh, see the game from a different side now. Uh, you know, you see the game from a different level when you're you know, a fan on the outside or as what I'm doing right now, or more of an analyst and kind of breaking down the film and breaking down what guys are doing. It, it's been fun to – you know, kind of see it from the outside in. And then also, um, you know, being able to, you know, be a partner with uh, Applied Silver and, you know, their goals and uh, what they're trying to do in uh, in sports and in medicine and um, hospitality and just trying to make the world a better place and try to help, you know, especially guys in the locker room or um, in the hospital setting, you know, which I was. And I saw that I was in ICU for roughly a month. So, I know how the, the, the hospital works and, um, you know, it was just a blessing to, you know, fall into um, the certain things that I have going on right now. So um, it's been, it's been, it's been a fun uh, decade for me, you know, since I got out here, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, the Bay area has, you know, done well and um, treated me right out here and stuff like that. So uh, after everything that I've had go uh, on, that was positive for me. I had a lot of negatives, but at the same time, I learned a lot from those negatives and, um, those negatives have, uh, I'm 31 years old now, so those negatives have definitely uh, uh, made me mature a lot faster than I expected. What's this Applied Silver that you just mentioned? So Applied Silver, so they have a flagship uh, product called Silver Clean, which uses silver ions to kill bacteria such as uh, Candida or Staph or MRSA. Uh, and finally, uh, our testing came back that it, it also uh, fights coronavirus also or any other coronavirus, especially COVID-19. So uh, knowing that, you know, the climate that we're in right now, the atmosphere that we're in right now and 
you know, a product like Silver Clean from applying silver, um, you know, being with, you know, multiple teams in the NFL, uh, college teams, being in hospitals. Uh, it's definitely, you know, something that you have to keep a monitor or, or keep an eye out on because um, <clears throat> this company is definitely coming out of nowhere and um, definitely going to, you know, disturb uh, the industry because of what it's doing right now and the studies behind it, you know, um, you know, teams are the teams that we have right now are doing uh, very great and um, especially with the, the COVID and, you know, other infections and stuff like that. So uh, it's just, um, exciting to see where applied silver is going and uh especially the product and um the future that uh you know applied silver and their their board team and their management management team is looking for well that's great i mean we've ta- we've taken up a lot of your time and i appreciate all all of it tonight i really want to think if you got any parting shots tell the folks how to how to find you on social media tell them what you're up to and everything just let them know it's your it's your time now I appreciate you guys for having me, man. It's been fun. Uh, always love talking football. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, iWilliams95, or Instagram, iWilliams93. And if not, uh, I'll see you when I see you. Well, look in your mailbox. You're going to have some Mav gear coming your way. Cool. I appreciate you guys, man. It's fun talking to y'all. Absolutely. Thanks and we you. appreciate, appreciate you, you so much again, man. Again, that was Mr. Ian Williams, former Notre Dame Fighting Irish, San Francisco 49er, now works as a sports analyst for NBC Sports Bay Air. Bay Air I keep tripping up on that. Now a sports analyst for NBC Sports Bay Area and 95-7 the game. David, some quick takeaways from Ian. Um, really well spoken, right? He uh you know, covered a lot of topics. We kept him for a long time, man. He was very willing to, to talk ball with us for a little bit. What was your main takeaways? Well, you know, as, as Ian sees it, I mean, he sees it from a player perspective as well as from uh, a black male's perspective. And he sees that uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. He says he sees things that are coming in a positive way, in a good way. And we're coming out of it with uh, the economy coming back a little bit and people getting back out there. You know, I'm more skeptical as far as the economy and the pandemic goes, and he seems to be. But again, being around the team as much as he's around them, and as um, you know, hearing from the guys as much as he hears from me, obviously brought a different perspective on that to the show, which I appreciate because that's an insider view that we don't get from a player stance as much as we we would like. So that was that was my biggest takeaway from him, and and you know, um, hearing how the, it's an even playing field out there too with all the injuries and everything going on. You know, everybody's got to deal with them and you just got to line up and play, which is which is a fun, uh, fun mentality. But it seems like it's, you know, with the Titans closing their facility today till Sunday or till Saturday and the Vikings closing it today, too. I think there's going to be competitive advantages, obviously, if your team tests positive and the league closes down your your facility for you. Obviously, you can't practice and stuff. So those um, those competitive advantages are going to start peaking up here a little bit. Yeah, and that goes from an NFL perspective, college football. I mean, Notre Dame had to cancel this past weekend their game uh, against Wake Forest. What was the number, David, 20, 25? They have 25 currently under uh, protocol and 14 from the last testing cycle. So they had, you know, 11 before that and now 14 more. Yeah, and it's um, obviously troubling times. You know, I felt like we were – 
you know, it wasn't normal, but it was like, you know, at least we're, we're seeing some assemblance of football and now kind of the, the negativity is kind of popping back in our heads a little bit. Want to get into more of these games before we do. We want you to take a minute to stop and say thank you for having us in your ear for Mav Sports Take. If you want to hear more from us, from the two of us, you'll definitely want to check out a season pass to our Friday Night Scout School. That's the weekly class David and I teach to anyone who wants to start watching football through a scout's eye. More and more you hear about West Coast-style offense, but do you really know what that means? Join us in class this week, Friday night, where we'll be talking passing schemes, including the West Coast offense and vertical passing game. Friday Night Scout School is your pathway to understanding football at a higher level. We were talking about some college football before Mr. Ian Williams. Big shout-out to him again for coming on with us. Just got done with Kansas State, Texas Tech. Another interesting game. SEC opponents, we have the University of Georgia, six and a half point favorites, going to take on the Auburn Tigers. Over under is set at 45. We saw Georgia really struggle. Uh, we had Jamie Newman opt out, quarterback. They had a young kid, Dwan Mathis. Stetson Bailey came in and played some quarterback too. Offense really struggled, but they still were able to eventually get to a 37 to 10 victory in their game this past weekend. Auburn, you know, a little hit or miss. Quarterback Bo Nix, sophomore, had some good moments. I really like their wide receiver, Seth Williams, a ton. I think he is extremely talented. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, David, what are you expecting in this game? Are you buying the six-and-a-half-point line? Do you think that this is a a dogfight? What's kind of your general uh, opinion of this game? I don't know how it's six-and-a-half. I think Auburn's more talented than that. You know, I think Auburn is a – I don't know. Again, I think they're at home. So to be to be Auburn and minus six and a half to a team that struggled and they have a young quarterback coming in, um, you know, I, I would be if I was Auburn, I'd be a little fired up for this game because I'd want to earn some respect on this one. But, you know, I, again, I watched a little bit of the Georgia game. I didn't get all the way through because I was watching other games last last week. And, you know, I think they have a really nice team. I think it's a little young um, in talent. And I, I believe that, you know, maybe a year from now that Georgia would be more more inclined to be a tougher team coming coming at people but you know for me I think Auburn is a team that needs to come out and really earn some respect uh with this game and really put it down you know Gus Malzone always seems to like maybe start a little slow and then build it up maybe I mean that's how I always feel about him and I think this might be the same type situation here you know I just don't know I'm again I I'm a big um I'm a big fan of, you know, of Georgia. I'm a big dogs fan. I like him a lot. But with Gus Malzone and and what he's got going, you know, I just don't I don't see them being a six and a half point favorite on top of them here and you know, I I I wanna say that this is gonna wind up being I mean, if you look up and down this Georgia offense, they've got a lot of sophomores, juniors, only a couple seniors, so again I and even on defense, I got a lot of sophomores and juniors. I think this is a team for next year that I buy, uh, but for this year, I, I think you know Auburn's going to wind up stealing this game. We're not stealing, but winning it outright. Yeah, th- I mean, when I saw this line, I was I was very I was genuinely confused. I was because Georgia, and this is speaking from an NFL draft perspective of guys I've seen. Georgia's safety, Richard LeCount, is a really good ball player. He's a very good player. They have a corner named Eric Stokes that I think is a potential first-round guy when all is said and done. Junior, redshirt junior, very talented. They have a defensive tackle named Jordan Davis who is talented. They have Monty Rice at linebacker that is a very good player. 
So they have a, a NFL prospect at every level of that defense, which, you know, in most years, Georgia, you know, they do. So the question, and they have Aziz Ojulari, who's a defensive end, plays some off ball at times. He's kind of a hybrid type player. Um, so I get Georgia keeping this close, and I understand the over-under there set at 45 because I think Georgia does have a really talented defense. Georgia offensively this past game was ugly. It was ugly, ugly, ugly. They have a really nice wide receiver, and as you said, David, they have a lot of sophomores and juniors. They have a kid named George Pickens who's a sophomore who I think is going to be the real deal. Some people are already comparing him to A.J. Green who came out of Georgia obviously a few years ago. So I think Georgia's going to keep this game close, but if I had to pick this game, I would pick Auburn outright in this game. I think that they have a little more veteran leadership they have a nice defense, as always. Some talented players on that side of the ball. And then, I i mean, again, man, I really like Seth Williams a ton, the wide receiver. Even though I like Georgia's defensive backs, I think he's going to create some mismatches with a 6-3 frame. I, I don't know if I would even touch that over-under, but I would definitely, I think, at least take Auburn in that matchup. Uh, moving on here, South Carolina, University of Florida, David's Florida Gators are fa- favored. <laughs> By 17 and a half, he's doing the Gator Chomp if you can't see him live right now. 17 and a half point favorites, 57 and a half. That seems a little high to me. Um, let me start here by saying Florida has a ton of playmakers. Mr. Tony, we talked about him. Mr. Pitts, we talked about him. Kyle Trask, we talked about him. But I'll tell you right now, South Carolina could match up with them on the perimeter, if nothing else. They have my boy J.C. Horn, Joe Horn's son at corner, one of my favorite players in the class for 2021. Really talented corner. On the other side, they have a, and you're 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 hearing this correct, David, a six foot four cornerback, Israel McQuamu, who I think is going to be a safety down the road. But either way, he is an NFL caliber defensive back. So I think they're going to be able to match up at least at the skill positions a little bit. I think that where it's going to get really determined this game is in the trenches. You talk about Mr. Hagee, uh, the center there. Their offensive line for Florida looked very improved compared to 2019. I think, though, and this is just me, I think Florida's going to win. I'm not, I'm not going to pick an upset here. But I think South Carolina is going to cover this line. I really do. I don't think Florida is going to score that enough to cover 17 and a half. I think that's very high. Um, 57 and a half would not touch that either because I don't think South Carolina's offense is very good. So if I'm thinking that Florida's not going to score quite as much as I think, then I'm going to pick a low-scoring game. Uh, David Turner, am I crazy? Yes, because they just dropped (laughs) 51 points last week. Against Ole Miss. Against Ole Miss's defense. don't disrespect Lane that way. Come on. (laughs) He's an offensive coach. What do you mean? (laughs) But... No, I, I mean, again, Florida, from what I saw last week, I mean, the old ball coach would be proud with the way they were running up and down the field and they were scoring. Them Gators were chomping at the bits. They're going to eat some South Carolina Gamecocks this weekend now. You heard it here. But they're going to be feasting on them. Um, I, I like, again, I like what you're saying about their defense in South Carolina. Again, their matchup on the corners. I just think the Florida run game comes into play this week. Those two backs wear down that, that South Carolina. They get the run game going. So even if their receivers start getting shut out a little bit, they, they, they can just run downhill and beat you with both those backs. They're, they're just too loaded. I, I, I am going to take Florida and I'm going to take the points. I think they beat South Carolina by like 20. 
by 20. Oh, man. What's that over-under saying to you, though, David? Would you touch that over-under, 57 and a half? Well, yeah, because Florida's going to score 51, and South Carolina just has to score seven, and there you go. <laughs> if, if, all right, I, you're hearing it on the podcast right now, okay? Right on the podcast. If, I don't, I don't know if I want to make a bet here, but if Florida scores 50 points on the Gamecocks this week, I will admit that David Turner is the most handsome man that I've ever seen in my entire life on the podcast next week. That's that's the you, bet that I'm willing to You don't even have to admit one. that. We already know it's true. You live in South Philly, Jersey area. There ain't no good-looking guys out there. Uh, you're looking at him right now. It's the only, <laughs> it's the only man that, that matters in South Jersey. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that one. I'm, I'm calling it right now, though. J.C. Horn intercepts Kyle Trask this week. If if nothing if nothing happens this week that'll make me happy out of this game, J.C. Horn gets an interception against you. There you go. That's their seven points. They get a pick six. J.C. Horns. They get seven points out of that, and then fifty-one points by uh, by Florida. We're good to go. We're upfield. We win. Zero chance. I don't usually make guarantees, but there is zero chance fifty gets dropped in South Carolina. Asking you, are you a new agent trying to learn how to evaluate and connect with players, market them to NFL teams? or develop their personal brands to attract marketing deals. Maverick Sports Consulting is ready to help. Build your clientele, base, and personal brand with our expert assistance through one of our agent consulting packages. Learn more at mavericksportsconsulting.com. We want to get into some NFL action for the week. The Oakland Raiders, I feel like we start with the Raiders every week. Are taking wonder on the why. Buffalo Bills. I wonder why. Homer wonder picked. why. <laughs> I wonder why. Buffalo taking on the Buffalo Bills. Three point favorite Buffalo Bills. Over under is fifty two. That's another. Like that seems kind of high because I don't. I mean that one does seem high. high to me. That one. It's like ooh. All these this week seem a little high. I mean, I feel like the Raiders' defense, even though they sucked last week, is improving a little bit. Buffalo has a good defense. Like, I don't know. Okay. Um, David, are you going to be a homer and pick the Raiders to cover here? What's, what are your thoughts? You know, I think we saw a little chink in the armor last week with the Raiders. You know, I think New England exposed them a little bit, showed a little, you know, a little way to beat them on the defense. Now, Buffalo, as you know, I like their defense. People are, are suspect on them. I think they're on the come. I think this is a defense on the come. It's going to it's gonna get gelled up here really quick. I think this is a week where you got to be – if you can't run the ball on Buffalo, you're going to have a hard time. I don't think you're throwing it all over the field. I just don't. I think they're going to dial up some nice zone blitzes and come at you. So I'm going to take Buffalo at home. And I know it's, a, it's not a pick I usually would take because my boys are my boys, but – I think Buffalo at home, the Raiders, I don't know if they stayed out there. They played New England, I want to say, out there, and then they, they got Buffalo, so I'm not sure if they stayed or not. That's hard to do back-to-back weeks on the East Coast, and if you traveled back and forth, it's definitely hard. So I think Buffalo being at home, they're going to edge out the Raiders, and you know they'll wind up winning by six maybe. I don't know if it's a full touchdown, but I think they'll win by six. Yeah, I, I'm on the exact same wavelength, honestly. I, like, I looked at this game and I was like, I take Buffalo. You know, like I, I'm not sure if I'm like so confident that I would actually put money on this game, but I mean, I mean, Buffalo's a good team. You know, they, they're just they're a good team. They play very good defense. They have a quarterback that's playing at MVP caliber level. Like, 
what, what am I missing here? The Raiders are kind of, and, and this is probably why it's the, it's the debate, right? It's because we saw the Raiders two weeks ago beat the New Orleans Saints. And at the time, you were like, oh, that's a great win. That looks great for the Raiders. But then we saw the Saints play again this week, and we're just kind of like, wow, they do not look very good without Michael Thomas offensively. They do not look like the same team. Even though Drew Brees ended up having you know, a statistically good, uh, good game this past weekend, three touchdowns, it just doesn't look the same right now. They, they look a little old. Um, so I'm a little down on the Raiders. I, I was a little more high going into last week's podcast on the Raiders. So I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills in that one as well. Moving on. Well, we the Bills have co- scored. Look at this. The Bills have scored 27, 31, and I think 34. 35. 35. Okay. So they, they've scored you know, pretty much an average of 31 point or 32 points a game over the first three weeks. So that's, I mean, again, that's really high scoring average for any offense to be doing. And the, you know, the Raiders haven't stopped a lot of them. I mean, it's not like they, I mean, last week their offense only scored 20 points and they, you know, the New England Patriots scored 34 or something on them. Um, so, you know, they're allowing teams to score on them. That's why I like the Buffalo Bills. I, I, again, I think the Bills defense is going to play at just a little bit, a little bit higher caliber and therefore, and I'll say this, that safety number 24 for the Raiders, who they drafted, I think it was in the first oh, round Ab- last year. John, Jonathan Abram, yep. He could not break down in space to save his life. He missed four open field tackles, coming downhill, bad angles, not being able to break down, reaching for tackles. I mean, he made one play, and I was like, okay, you caught my attention, kid. And then I focused on him the rest of the game. And, oh, my Lord, I was like, what are you guys looking at on film if this is the way he played in college? Because he missed at least four open field tackles that he should have made. It was, like, unbelievable. This kid was stiff in the hip, bending at the waist, reaching, not moving his feet. I could not believe. I was like, as an evaluator, I was sitting back going, like, sucker, I'm going to take that jersey off you because Raider, Raider safeties are much better than that. Yeah, and I don't know what they're watching either, David. And, you know, talking about safeties filling against the run, you know where we could see some 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 um, some film on that? Friday Night, Friday Night Scout, Scout School. School. There we go. We got it. There it is. <laughs> they, should, they should go to Friday Night Scout School right now. We covered safeties a few weeks ago. We could teach Mr. Abram how to break down in space. We could see what we're looking at there. Next game we want to talk about, Cleveland Browns off of a victory against the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys aren't very good, David, uh, but they're still four-and-a-half-point favorites, and the over-under is 55-and-a-half. 55-and-a-half. <laughs> All right. Um, can we talk about this, this for a the second? The Dallas Cowboys are tied for their division lead. So yes, they're a yeah. division-leading Dallas Cowboys. Good for them. That, that is the worst division I've ever seen in my life. That is so bad. What, what are we, 0-3? Oh, two and one, one and two, and one and two. Is that is that what the division is right now? Yeah, that the is Giants are only awful. one game out of first place as they sit right now. That's gross. That is so gross. I can't even tell you how gross that is, David. I I, I was um I was a little on the Dallas Cowboys bandwagon a little bit. You know, I'm never going to be a fan of them, but like I was buying into it a little bit. You know, that roster replacing Garrett with Mike McCarthy. Like, in theory, it sounded great. You know, Dallas has had some injuries. Tyron Smith has been banged up. Travis Frederick had to retire in the offseason. There's been guys all over the place that have been dropping like flies. So, like, I don't want to say that it's definite failure yet, but 
This looks like the same Cowboys team, don't you think? I mean... No, I can't buy that. Because week one, they struggled. They lost by three, okay? They, were, they only scored 17 points. But then the next week, you look at what they did. They went out and they scored... Um, what is it here? Hold on. I got, uh, they scored 40 points and they beat Atlanta. They had a complete, you know, second they beat who? run. Who did they beat? Oh, the, the birds that like to defeat themselves. Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons. Yes. Better known as Atlanta Falcons. That find ways to win, to lose every game, which, again, we, we've talked about before. They just find ways to lose. They did it this past weekend, too. It was, it's exactly. gross. Every, it's every week, they find the Falcons to try to outdo the, themselves. Hold on. The Dallas Cowboy goes up to Seattle and still scores 31 points. Um, to, so they've been in the game. Their offense and Mike McCarthy's strength, which is offense, is since week one, week two, and week three, they're scoring a lot of points. They're starting to gel and come together. I think eventually you're, the, this team's going. I mean, they're, they're, I think they got seven guys on IR since training camp, and there are new coaches now. So I'm not, again, I'm a giant guy. You know that. I'm not a Dallas guy ever. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying you got to watch out for this team. They got some components and some parts that, again, they're going to be able to put together and make some wins. I don't like Jerry Jones comment about that Prescott and why he's different than and Patrick Mahomes about not making the play at the end of the game. I don't think that's fair. I don't really think that that's a good comparison for him to make right now when you're trying to negotiate in public contracts to me doing a business contract all the time. That's something I don't like about Dallas and that that can be a festering thing inside the locker room if those comments keep coming, and I do like what I see in Cleveland, you know, I see I see some life out of them, uh, out of them Cleveland dogs, the, the the dog pound down there. So you know, I think it's going to be a better game. That's why I picked it for us to talk about. That most people might be giving it credit. I think it's going to be a, a competitive, fun game to watch. I don't think we get to fifty five and a half, my opinion, but I I do think those two teams. It's going to make it a fun game to watch this week. Yeah, I would pick Dallas, and I'm with you, David. Like, the pieces for Dallas, I bought into it, man. I was like, this team's probably going to win 11-plus games, and they're going to win their division. It could still happen, but... Well, that oh, run man. game for Cleveland is legit now. Both those it running is. backs coming downhill, that's... I, I, if the Cleveland Browns win, wind up winning this game, it's because Chubb went for, like, 124, 134, and got two touchdowns. And and uh, the other running back whose name's just eluding me right now, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt. The what? Hunt. Kareem Hunt. Yeah, Kareem Hunt. He gets another you know eighty or ninety yards and a touchdown. I mean, those two backs are very talented, and obviously they got the receivers. We all know about that and stuff. So again, I think them running downhill, they might ball control to keep that Dallas offense off the field because that Dallas offense is starting to become an offense you got to keep off the field in order to win the game. Give me Dallas and the points. Give me the under on the 55 and a half. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. You squeeze him in there, David. I can't believe we're going to go a whole podcast potentially without talking about how great that guy is. But the next game we have on <laughs> Minnesota Vikings, Houston Texans. I, I'm sorry, man, but I, that game last night, and I have, I have Mahomes in fantasy. I was just like, dude, this guy is unreal. Like, he's unreal. Dude, but, that, throw he made, that throw he made over part, uh, Patrick not Patrick Peterson, uh, Marcus Peters' shoulders to Tyreek Hill. Was, was absurd. I mean, it wasn't even on a dime. That was like on a, a, a freaking dust, like a sand dust or something. Like he hit that thing in the one spot that Tyreek could hit it, that Peters wasn't going to. I mean, that coverage was money coverage. And he it put was. it in the one 
grain of sand that could hit, and it went perfect right there. That was like, and it, the craziest part is like he makes everything look so easy. <laughs> like that did yeah. not look difficult at all. That was just like day in the park. There it is. Well, it's like oh, it's like Sammy Davis Jr. or Gregory Hines tap dance, and they just it's just so natural and it's effortless and fluid. And then you watch it, and you're in amazement. Your jaw opens, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And they just make it look like it's a Sunday stroll, you know. And same right. thing with him. He he's just out there playing playing ball at a very high level right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and we talked about that with like Ken Griffey Jr. a few weeks ago, right? Like that swing, right. man. Like they just make it look so easy. The great ones just make hard things look so simple so simplistic like it's just it's poetry in motion honestly uh this game right here if you would have told me in the preseason though if you would and this is so honest if you would have told me in in the preseason that the minnesota vikings and the houston texas were going to be playing and they were both zero and three i would have i would have called you a liar because i believe in mike zimmer houston even though they're not they're being run very poorly right now by o'brien as their gm you know ipso facto gm head coach combination I would have thought Deshaun Watson's going to sneak you out of victory because that's kind of what he's been doing, you know, even though he's had DeAndre Hopkins over the last couple of years. So we're dealing with a pick em. I didn't have a line on this game, at least on the site I was on. So no line, 54 over under. I, I don't know what to do with this, David. Honestly, I'm looking at this and I want to pick this game right now, but I'm going to defer to you to make the first statement on this game because I have no idea who's going to win this game. I have zero idea. Well, again, I'm shocked at Minnesota's 0-3. I know they've had a couple uh, bad games and or a couple bad uh, or some tough opponents a little bit, but man, 0-3, man, I did not see this coming at 0-3 for the Minnesota Vikings. I really was high on them. You can go back to like our first week in Pickums. I was really excited about seeing Minnesota play this year, and woo, that's one team that Seattle should be calling to see if they can get Danielle Hunter from them because. You know, at this point, if they had, if Seattle were to add Daniel Hunter and they don't have a guaranteed contract done with Danielle for next year, I mean, they go zero and four, and I would believe that there might be some some guys for for trade on that team to start building and getting draft capital for next year. I mean, they already took sixteen draft picks or whatever this year, or, and then they signed or no, they drafted I think thirteen, and then they signed another sixteen undrafted free agents. So they're already looking forward and building that way. Houston, I'm not surprised. You trade like your best player Hopkins away to get somebody to get some dude off the street, and and now you have no playmakers. You went and signed Randall Cobb and a couple other guys, but again, they're not the caliber of Hopkins. And the reason why Deshaun was able to move around and th- fling a ball up in the air and you know someone come down with this because Hopkins was on the other end. You see what Hopkins is doing. I think he had another eight receptions for the Cardinals this week. So, I mean, he's just added a lot of juice into their offense, and it was subtracted from Houston. I'm not surprised at all Houston's struggling. That one doesn't surprise me, but Minnesota struggling does. If I had to pick this game, I'm going to pick Minnesota because I still think they have more tools and they still have a better team environment. And I think Houston, the, the wheels are off, man. I think they're limping down the field all, already. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, when so, I watch them, bro, I, I don't even see I, – I literally, Ryan, I do not see fighting that dog in Houston. I don't see fighting that dog. Like, they're not out there hunting. They ain't out there hunting. Even J.J. Walk lo- looks d- disheveled and not like the normal J.J. Watt. 
No, it's it's a mess, honestly. And, and I, I don't even think Bill O'Brien's a bad coach, but ha- him having general manager power right now, the moves that he's made, it's pathetic, honestly. Well, um, everybody wants to be like, oh, they got the roughest three games that you could have started the season with. Guess what? It's the matter. NFL. You get to right. line it up, you, and you know, you got to line up about who's, and they knew those games were coming. And you still made the moves you made. You still weren't prepared for them. And if you're telling me, oh, poor me, that means you're not ready to win a Super Bowl. And it's in week three. You can't be poor me in week three. You got to line up and get going. And you know? also, you it's, m- not, it's not college football, right? Like, NFL, there's such high parity. Like, the difference between a good team and an average team, like, isn't that much of a decider, you know? It's a couple plays here and there each game. We see we – see, so many upsets on a week-to-week, well, perceived upsets on a week-to-week basis. We see so many just weird storylines on a week-to-week basis. Guys having incredible games that we've never heard of. Like, it happens so often because the parity is so high in the NFL. For me, though, like, in this game, I, maybe it's just to go against you a little bit here. So, like, <laughs> two bad teams right now. I'm going to pick the better quarterback. Like, I'm just going to defer to the better quarterback. I'm going to pick, even though I'm a fan of Mike Zimmer and his defensive philosophy, that team is reeling on both sides of the ball right now. Kirk Cousins looks bad. Minnesota's defense does not look like a Mike Zimmer defense. I'm going to go with Deshaun Watson just because if I have to pick between Watson and Cousins, I'm going to pick Deshaun Watson. There we go. That's fair. That's fair. Last game of the night. Last game. Indianapolis, after a tough opening week loss in Jacksonville, has two straight wins. They look like they're back on the right track there. Against the undefeated, another surprise here, Chicago Bears, who just are changing quarterbacks. Mitchell Trubisky got got the boot. Nick Foles is in. Nick Foles threw like four touchdowns in relief in the comeback victory. Good for him. Just what he does. You know, future Kyle Trask clone, uh, Nick Foles. Uh, <laughs> so we got two and a half points. Indianapolis is favored over under 45. That seems about right to me. 45 seems about right on that game. Um, David, how many three and quarter, how many three and O teams have changed their quarterback in the middle of the game? Right. Yeah. Well, I guess your argument could have been that they were going to be two and one if they didn't change their quarterback, but yeah, it, it definitely doesn't happen often. Nick Foles is coming back to hopefully save the day again. We've seen it in his Philly career a couple times now. Uh, I'm getting a weird feeling on this game. I'm going to pick Indianapolis because I just don't believe in the Bears. I just really don't. I'm going to pick them for the to cover the two and a half. I'm going to pick them to win, even though I'm not like jumping in my chair like bet this game, bet this game. Because honestly, like the Minnesota Houston game, I may. Actually put some money on that game. I might actually do it. I might put some money on Houston. This game, not touching, I don't think. But my gut says Indianapolis. And my gut also says bet the over on this game. Are you on the same wavelength with me, David? Well, again, let's look at quality of opponent really quick. I know we just said it doesn't matter for you know Houston. They should be winning anyways. But, you know, Chicago, they beat the Giants, Detroit, and Atlanta. So it's not like they have built, you know, beat New England, Seattle, and Pittsburgh. So, you know, let's see what I mean. I don't know. I think Indianapolis, you know, it's my, they're my pick for the AFC this year. I really like what they're doing there. I think they have enough tools and weapons to really be a, a really solid team um, going going forward. So yeah, I'm going to take Indianapolis. Uh, I, I think Chicago gets beat here. 
and I, and I don't I don't fear uh, fear that pick at all. All right. Well, there you have it for our picks of the week. Ending it out here now. Uh, skipping the mailbag for tonight. We will be back next week, though, for the mailbag section. So please send us some questions over the week. We'll be more than happy to answer. Uh, reliving this episode, Mr. Ian Williams came on. We recapped and gave you some previews for this week of action in college football and in the NFL. Uh, David, ending us out here, man. We had an awesome show, as always. Ian Williams was a ton of fun to be able to talk to. I felt like we had him on for like 40 minutes, so we might have went over a little bit on that one. But um, a lot of fun picking some games. What's just your general um, general uh, stance on tonight's podcast and what, what was the favorite part maybe? You know, I just love getting on here every week with you and talking ball and, you know, letting our listeners hear a different perspective of how of what we're thinking and why we're thinking it as we look at games and we look at matchups. I also love to get guests like Ian on where, you know, people get to hear a, a player who, you know, went through his rookie contract, was sitting, getting ready to make that jump to the elite level, be a starter like you heard him. The game was finally starting to slow down for him and everything. And then he got hurt which then led to an infection, which ended his career. If you didn't hear the business in that, guys, if you're lucky enough, if you're fortunate enough to be one of these players that make it to the NFL, you know, every year there's only about 150 roster changes from all the teams, new players getting on rosters. If you're lucky enough to be one of those 157 players that get on a team, do like what Rian did. He did he listened to the veterans in the locker room, both offense and defense. He got to practice against them. He took advantage of the opportunity to build himself a career. And you never know when it's over. Save your money. Don't go out blowing your money. Do what you have to do to take advantage of what that can do to set you up for life. It's not something to be foolish with. Understand the average career in the NFL is 3.3 years. And you don't know if an injury, an infection or a pandemic stops you from playing. So literally that's what I took from tonight is how special Ian Williams is. Cause he, he took advantage of the opportunity. didn't go in there and sulk as an undrafted free agent. He earned his way up to be a starter. And then when that opportunity was taken away from him due to an infection and an injury, he's now turned it into his post career playing career where he was able to be a, a analyst, talk sports on radio, on TV, and he's also championing this new silver product that helps eliminate MRSA, SIRS, COVID-19 in the laundry. And in, I guess it's a spray too. I'm not sure. It's something like that. So it helps take care of people, something that, you know, obviously is close to his heart. And a couple things we have coming up soon this Friday. As every Friday, we are doing Friday Night Scout School, talking some passing concepts, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Make sure if you're not signed up to that, go to www.nfldraftbible.com. Buy our season pass, at least buy the pass for that. Give us a shot, see what you like, see what you think. Send us a send us a note. Uh, let us know how you enjoyed that seminar. So again, Friday night scout school. Also Thursday, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday or whenever you're listening to it, if it is before October first, you can sign up. You can send me an email at ryan at nfldraftbible.com. To RSVP for a Division II player spotlight, I have seven of the absolute best players on the Division II level coming on to a seminar, a Zoom call at 8.30 Eastern time this Thursday. 
to talk ball, talk about their careers, some of their accomplishments, and just not look into their future. Obviously, their uh, their senior seasons have been, you know, flipped on their head a little bit, but they're uh, excellent football players. I'm looking forward to gaining some in incredible insight into their journeys. Next week, we'll be back here 8:30 Eastern time on Tuesday for the live. If you are not watching it, you should go to my uh, my Twitter at Rise and Draft check out the live send us some questions that way this will be released if you are awaiting the release at three o'clock eastern time on wednesday 12 o'clock pacific time I want to thank you all so much for joining us tonight make sure you like share and follow us on twitter instagram linkedin and facebook rise and draft for me and at mav underscore sports for mr david turner here signing off for mav sports take episode eight thank you all so much for joining us tonight Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick.sportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 